On today's episode of the Nifty Nick Show, I am thrilled to have on the team behind Flamingo Dow, one of the largest entities designed to fund innovation in the world of NFT art, collectibles, and other digital assets. Not only are they on the front line of NFTs, but also DAOs, something I'm excited to discuss. The show's all about learning from those with skin in the game in the world of NFTs, and as usual, today's guest is no exception, so let's get started. If you're looking for some crypto, you just found the right spot. We wrap it up, one of a kind, NFT straight to the top. Now don't go trading based on comments, we provide in this show. It's not investment advice, but our picks do tend to blow up. Like a rocket, they say. Many people have compared it to people's every day. So if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this space, please do not worry. Your boy Nifty Nick is hot on the case. All right. Welcome to the show. We have the entire Flamingo Dow team. Uh, thanks for coming on today, guys. We have Aaron, David, and Pre. Hey, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. So I thought we could kick things off with the founding of Flamingo Dow, how you all got started. I, I know that David and Aaron, you all created Open Law. Yeah, maybe it would be useful just to start set the context here. Yeah, so um, I'm sure David will unpack this too, but we've been deep into the blockchain and crypto space for quite some time. Um, uh, I was fortunate enough to play a small role to help launch Ethereum, um, helping out with some of the naughty legal questions related to the launch of Ethereum. And David did a lot of early work uh, related to uh, Ethereum and Ethereum clients. And we just were enamored with everything that was being described and discussed in the ecosystem. Uh, so that included obviously, you know, Bitcoin as a store of value or some form of payment system. Uh, you know, these emerging smart contracts that um, that we thought were ex exceptionally p powerful on Ethereum, which enabled a whole bunch of different use cases that we're beginning to see today, like like DeFi and like DAOs. Um, and um, we began to uh, also become fascinated with this notion of a Ricardian contract or a system that could take boring uh, old paper contracts and represent them uh, digitally and also uh, have those contracts interact with uh, Ethereum. And uh, we spent uh, quite some time uh, developing a really robust protocol and project that uh, was able to uh, handle recording contracts. Uh, and we decided to focus that effort and, um, and that technology on creating DAOs. So that's a bit about how we uh, began to move into the DAO space. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to, to you two, maybe just to give your background and and kind of continue the story. Yeah, so it's it, it's it's been a quite the journey to 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 uh, go from uh, as you said from uh, open law and uh, what we call the legal layer of all these uh, blockchain um, ventures that uh, that are going on and what we try to do and and uh, to give credit to Aaron all these ideas because he has been cooking all these ideas on how can we use uh, a ledger and how do, can we use all these technologies to actually help uh, managing agreements and contracts. And, um, and, and while working on that, we, we always were looking for the, the, the perfect use case, like at least a, a good use case to kind of push this technology forward and, and, and put it to use for ourselves and um, managing these DAOs became more and more uh, clear that it was um, a great way to to be concrete about what we're doing and not just these abstract layers and very technical, although super exciting. Um, it's it's always better to be in the in the, the concreteness of things. And um, and yeah, and, and kind of also it was a, an amazing learning experience to to start it out to understand on the technical side, but also more on the community side. How to to manage the things? How what does it mean to 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 manage a community to make it uh, move forward to uh, to bring value to bring new ideas and to it's very energizing to work with all these very very um, uh, passionate people that are coming and have skin in the game with us with the work. But for them also, they are actually putting money in this uh, this DAO to work together. It's it's been quite amazing and. It's really a, a pushing force for us and then for the entire ecosystem to move forward with that. Yeah, it's been great. And Pri, I don't know if you want to talk about yourself and also the genesis of Flamingo. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, thanks for having us. But 
Um, and by the way, you know, the open lock team is us three plus like, you know, uh, seven others. So it's a pretty like lean team that has been able to create like all of these different ecosystems um, beyond just Flamingo Dow, which is part of the, the genesis of Flamingo as well. Um, so Aaron and, and David kind of touched on this, but, you know, open law with its legal tooling um, is, is, could be applied to many different structures and use case, including DAO. So a lot of what I think animated uh, specifically Aaron and David and, and the rest of the team um, around creating DAOs was the original DAO or the DAO in 2016, which, um, you know, obviously was a pretty ambitious, uh, amazing, incredible project, but unfortunately ran into some technical uh, issues to, to say the least, but also some legal ones. So I think thinking about that vision, seeing like the maturity in the technical infrastructure um, since 2016 uh, animated our team to kind of bring that vision to life with the Lao. Um, so not only have like the technical thing, uh, you know, aspects in order, but also uh, the legal ones. And uh, that's kind of the Lao in many, the Lao community in many ways is the genesis story of Flamingo. So, um, you know, the Lao started April of 2020. So a little bit over a year ago. Um, and, and the second project that the Lao supported uh, was Super Rare, uh, which at the time, you know, now Super Rare is kind of a household <laughs> name in the NFT space, but at the time, you know, still an emergent project, the NFT space didn't really see quite as much love as we're seeing today. And and so um, there's definitely a group within the Lao and, and a community within the Lao that was um, super interested in NFTs, you know, saw it, saw the vision of digital property expressed through non-fungible tokens, whether that be like digital art, gaming, or otherwise. Um, and, you know, over the summer, the conversation within the Lao uh, was, you know, should, should the Lao actually pick up NFTs themselves? So I think I recall like a couple members, like, you know, sharing like a POC or, or some other NFT is possibly like the Lao, um, uh, you know, buying it on behalf of, of this group. And, and that kind of led to just larger conversations around uh, NFT collection, um, you know, it's obviously a tokenized property in many ways. So it extends beyond um, just, you know, digital art and, and it could go into metaverse gaming, you know. So there was so much more uh, beyond like underlying NFT infrastructure investment. And, and that's really where Flamingo kind of came to be. It was through these conversations in the Lao community and and the Lao and it's and a couple of these like key NFT enthusiasts um, actually helped like seed the initial capital contributions into Flamingo. So that's really where everything kind of happened. It, it was like the Lao that really uh, uh, started and, and and asked some of these thought provoking questions around you know the you know what about the NFT the token itself versus the infrastructure and and um, yeah that's kind of the story. Uh, happy to unpack or if Aaron, David, if I missed anything there, I would love to get your so, thoughts. So I definitely want to dive into both of those projects more. And I want to set some context, I think, for this episode. I'd love to discuss NFTs with you all. But a lot of what, uh, you know, anyone who's listening uh, to my podcast in particular is already familiar with uh, NFTs. They've been following maybe some of the different projects that exist out there. And I'd, I'm curious as to the types of NFTs that you all are looking at. But I'm really also super interested in the structure of DAOs as this is, and now seems to be consensus, at least among, uh, you know, crypto Twitter, uh, if that's a good uh, indicator of anything, that, you know, this is the future of organizations. You see people like Mark Cuban and other people becoming strong advocates of, these stru of this structure. So I definitely think uh, it would be useful to unpack some of that aspect of things. And then we can also definitely touch on, I think, some of the specific NFTs but maybe we start with uh, the Lao in particular and some of the structural stuff that that I'm super interested in. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the DAOs, I, I do think that there is growing recognition that DAOs are kind of the organizational form for the Internet. Um, and that's not surprising, right? If you go back to the industrial age, we saw the birth of the joint stock company, you know, over the last 30 years, as we saw kind of the globalization of various different businesses, we saw the birth of limited liability companies, you know, even if you go back to the railroad boom, uh, that's when we saw structures that are still used today. Um, I preferred stock, 
to finance new endeavors. So every you know technological revolution tends to also come uh, or also it tends to come with you know some sort of innovation when it comes to how people organize themselves for purposes of work or for purposes of raising capital or some combination of the two. Um, and DAOs are, I think, the answer to that. And they've been something that's been kicking around the blockchain ecosystem for quite some time. Um, the first real reference to a DAO was in, I think, 2013 by Dan Larimer, who set up a blockchain called EOS. It, it uh, featured prominently in the Ethereum white paper uh, when Vitalik and others began to generalize the concept uh, of a DAO a bit more. And I think I think it makes intuitive sense. Uh, you know, we live in a world where attention is scarce, where information is immense, and it's really really hard to cut through the noise. And so we have structures today that really lean on experts, uh, a handful of people. Uh, if it's a fund, general partners. Uh, if it's a company, it's a board of directors and and the officers. And they're responsible for administering capital, hiring people, building things, providing services, a whole bunch of uh, socially beneficial economic activity. Uh, but they're fraying. Uh, and they're fraying because there's so much information online, it's hard to keep up. And the beautiful thing about a DAO is that it's a headless organization. There's no leader. Um, and you can tap into a network of people, all of which have uh, their own um, you know, networks, their own interests, their own uh, ideas. And it efficiently sources and finds information. So one of the reasons why we wanted to reboot the Lao itself was this idea that when we saw a big financing round uh, for a great blockchain project, it was no surprise if you were on crypto Twitter, right? You already heard about the project, you were excited about it, you were using it. The fact that a venture capital fund was coming in, you know, six to nine months later after the project launch and was providing capital and it wasn't the community that was receiving any profits or potential profits from that project. It just felt kind of wrong. Uh, and we thought uh, with the with you know backing projects in the ecosystem that this hive mind approach, this leaderless organization would be just as effective, if not more effective, and would be more community driven. So if a project's successful, it's not you know two general partners and a handful of pension funds that benefit, it's the ecosystem that they came from. And that same general concept of cutting through information, identifying you know the best um, in a particular category, has worked really well. Not just in the context of backing projects, but also in the context of NFTs. There's so much to touch on there. Uh, I so I'm I've been uh, in full disclosure. I I feel like I was always particularly cynical of DAOs, especially when they first showed up, and it makes sense. You know, especially I think as an entrepreneur, someone who is a control freak, maybe the best way of describing it, especially you see it common among many entrepreneurs, the the, the structure of the DAO is in, in inherent contrast to that sort of uh, uh, structure and behavior uh, and, and sort of um, just psychology. So uh, there's a lot of questions that I have about this um, and headless organizations, but one that just comes to mind immediately that you described is, well, the community benefits from it. I'd like to explore some of the limits of these DAOs, in particular in that one, is that, yes, anyone can participate, but not really. Like the, It's not the entire community. So I'd like to figure out what are the limits of DAOs, and there's a couple questions that come to mind. One is, what's the maximum number of people? And then second, which is unrelated to that, is who are the type of people that get to participate? Because my understanding when, when we put in quotes the community my understanding of a lot of the DAOs that I've seen evolve and get created on uh, Twitter so far are not just the community, it's people in the community that have a lot of Ethereum or have a lot of resources. So I'd like to understand uh, how you parse uh, those two separate things and what the limits are structurally of you know number of people as well as the type of people that get to participate. Yeah, I think those are great questions. And I think that the answer kind of bifurcates into two buckets. The first one is technical limitations, and the second one is legal and regulatory limitations. So on the technical side, um, there isn't a limit in the number of people that can join a DAO. There may be some natural limits just in terms of uh, achieving consensus, you know, getting people to make good decisions, but uh, you can set up a DAO. You know, we've set up on um, on a set of smart contracts called Moloch V2. We've got a new uh, DAO framework that's coming out called Tribute DAO. And you can imagine just based on the pure technology, uh, seeing DAOs that you know don't have tens or hundreds of people, but thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people working together online. Um, a lot like what we see 
in other online watering holes, whether that's message boards from Web 1 or subreddits from Web 2. Um, you could you can imagine large groups of folks coming together, uh, organizing themselves as a DAO and coming to you know reach some sort of consensus or decision making process. Uh, unfortunately, at least in the U.S., there's lots of constraints if you pull together capital and you're trying to make a profit uh, in, in terms of the size of that entity. Um, if you have over 100 people, uh, you start to look a little bit more like a mutual fund, like a pooled investment vehicle, and that requires public disclosure. Uh, and the interests of what, uh, um, you know, some sort of ownership stake or rights in a DAO are and whether they're securities or commodities just raises other com complex questions. So there's good arguments that those interests are not securities. Uh, there's arguments, however, that they are. Um, and so you oftentimes see DAOs, because they're concerned about those arguments, uh, limiting membership to accredited investors, particularly if it's something that's trying to make a profit of some sort. And so those are the constraints. And that may be why you, you know, see smaller DAOs and DAOs that are uh, filled up with folks that may have a lot of assets, whether that's natively digital assets like Ether or, you know, or other more traditional assets as well. So we're not there yet, but I do think in the longer arc, a little bit like what we saw with Coinbase in the U.S., um, you know, by pushing and showing that this is a productive model, that the internet actually needs a new native structure, we hopefully can begin to expand who can participate in DAOs and the the form and number of folks that are a part of them. So we're not there yet, but I do think um, over the next five, 10, 15 plus years, we'll get there. And and I don't want, I, I want to give everybody uh, an opportunity to comment on some of these things. So feel free to speak up if, if there's something that you have, but there's a follow on to this, which is what you were talking about from the regulatory uh, side of things and really limitations that do feel particularly related to the U.S. Uh, it, so, for example, I, I have a publishing business. There seems to be this common thing around uh, creating DAOs around uh, media companies. I've seen a number of different types and different formations, depending on where those people are located in, in the world. But in the U.S., it does feel particularly risky. And so now you all are a legal team. And so for you to deal with legal issues as it applies to threatening letters and things like that, that uh, your con uh, any concerns around that, you all have the capacity to navigate that. For myself, if I were to go and try and get a group of people together around a shared vision or something like that, it feels like treacherous territory to myself. And I'm wondering what you all think. You know, I know that you uh, had involvement or were leading, from my understanding, uh, the I'm blanking on the name of it in New York, the, the bit, um, whatever the bit certificate thing is, uh, you all can provide clarity on that. But it feels much more restrictive here, especially in New York as well, which makes me wonder, hey, are we at a disadvantage here? And two, how does someone who's based here operate and like, how do they take advantage of these new structures without, you know, being fearful that they're going to have the SEC come after them and I'm going to end up in jail? Yeah, I mean, these are really important concerns, concerns that folks that are trying to innovate in the crypto space have worried about pretty much from the beginning. Uh, there's always been questions about the regulatory status of uh, digital assets, whether that was Bitcoin. You know, back in the day, people were worried that Bitcoin was a security. People were worried about uh, the fact that uh, Ether may be classified as a security. Lots of regulatory issues around decentralized finance. There's questions that swirl around NFTs too. Um, and uh, the answer is it is a bit treacherous. Um, there's lots of things that need to be balanced but at the same time, I think the U.S. is very pragmatic. Uh, you know, if there's innovation, if there's new industries or business that can get generated and formed, we tend to meander to the right answer. Uh, but it does create some, you know, odd incentives where folks that are a bit more aggressive in terms of their approach were willing to, you know, in the worst case, flaunt the law, uh, you know, tend to uh, tend to be at the forefront here. And, you know, we've seen this outside of crypto. You know, think about Uber or even YouTube or other, you know, more Web2 platforms. They took aggressive positions and those positions turned out to be winners in the long run. So it's a it's a challenge. You know, that being said, I don't, I don't know if the U.S. is actually much worse than other jurisdictions. I think it feels worse because it's a bit more transparent and open, the processes. So you kind of see the sausage being made and it's gruesome, um, just like 
um, just like any process that you're you're seeing it blow by blow. And uh, that creates, I think, a lot of consternation for entrepreneurs. But it's a, a big concern of mine. I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but I am a law professor as well. I think about these questions quite a bit. Uh, but I think we'll get there. I think in general, if you're trying to do the right thing, you're being measured, people are not getting hurt, and you're adding value, uh, you can find a sensible path towards uh, towards compliance. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I feel like I'm a second wave adopter in most things. And although, I mean, I was early in crypto, but didn't fully buy in at that point in time. And I think uh, as it applies to a lot of these things, I fall slightly in the not fully conservative, but 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 uh, I'm I'm risk taking with a little bit of uh, conservative behavior, which makes me hesitant to get involved with some of it, unless I'm participating in an existing uh, DAO. So, uh, in terms of the ones that you all have been uh, involved in, the Lao Flamingo, uh, I want to get to the types of projects and some of the more NFT stuff in a moment. But uh, you know, what sort of involvement are you all seeing from the community? In these structures, it sounds like, well, I'm curious, how, how large is the Lao? How large is Flamingo Dow? And what sort of engagement are you getting there? And is that all being managed on like Discord or where, where is that occurring? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, as Aaron mentioned before, legally, we could have up to 99 members without running into like, you know, additional legal regulatory issues. But um the Lao currently has close to, I want to say 65 members at this point. And then um, Flamingo has 66 with, I think, two more joining shortly. Um, and so as far as like how conversations tend to get managed or how like things tend to percolate up uh, as far as decision making or cutting through the noise, uh, if you will, it's usually done through Discord. Uh, we rely most of the conversation, uh, you know, is is on Discord. As far as participation goes, I mean, we realize not everyone uh, has the time, energy, or bandwidth to keep up with Discord at, at all times. So there are also weekly calls um, where a good for a good chunk of the membership actually ends up attending that just to get a comprehensive view of like what's getting discussed on Discord. Just kind of chatting through some pieces or ideas around specific projects. Um, so, so the calls are, you know, extremely uh, valuable just to kind of distill down on, on specific, um, you know, projects, NFTs, collectibles, what have you. Um, and so, so yes, primarily discord and, um, and uh, uh, weekly calls are the way that, that the DAO kind of synthesizes information. Um, but yeah, as far as, uh, you know, organizing or, or conversations, um, you know, people tend to be fairly engaged, uh, and, and, and activity. I, I would say, you know, this depends on the DAO. It depends on a specific deal or category or, or what have you, because of course you can't be an expert at everything, but I would say that a good third of both the DAOs are extremely, like we have an extremely loyal, active, uh, excited community. And then I would say a third are probably depending on what it is and, and what the subject or domain is, they're pretty active. And then a third are pretty passive. Some will just come to the calls. So it kind of depends. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting to, to see people float in and out, depending on, on what the conversation's about. There's some people who, much like, you know, online message boards and others, like I, I'm a heavy Reddit user. I'm not necessarily an active contributor, but I am an active consumer. So uh, you have people who weigh in on um, decisions, polls, governance, uh, but may not necessarily uh, weigh in on the conversation. So it, it's kind of very much in line with how the internet operates. Um, you you uh, have like a, a mix of people who are just in and out. In terms of uh, projects that you all are diving, well, actually, I have one quick follow-on question to that, which is, so you're hosting these weekly calls. Who's hosting that? And then how does like organization around this structure? Because it sounds like it's essentially someone's at least doing community management to a certain degree. Do they get compensated? Are you just doing that voluntarily? Is this you all doing that? Like what's the structure for that? And what's the, what are the incentives outside of just, you know, being a participant in the, in the club? Yeah. So, uh, you know, our, our team, the open team helps distill that information. So we'll help you know, put together the weekly agendas and, and 
more or less just synthesize some of the conversation that's happening on Discord. Uh, members will will also be like, can we discuss this on the call? And so we'll stick that in the agenda. And so they definitely um, weigh in there. But it, it's really down to, to the community. And so uh, we kind of just help direct it at the fringes and herd cats and make sure things are moving. But, um, you know, they tend to kind of carry the conversation, decision and, and, and governance. Um, for doing that, we, uh, as Open Law, the team, both beyond just managing the community, but also the legal structuring, um, the accounting, like logging and, and managing, you know, which NFTs are used, uh, maintaining the DAP, all the other uh, kind of uh, peripheral um, maintenance required for some of these communities. We, we take a, a small fee um, just to kind of maintain that annually and that deprecates over time. Yeah, I would just say like one analogy, you can view us almost as like professionalized mods on these emerging subreddits, right? Um, so, you know, one way to analogy we've used is sub, uh, DAOs are a little bit like subreddits with bank accounts and rules. They uh, kind of operate by rough consensus. And then we're a little bit like a powerless, toothless mod. Um, you know, we have no ability to direct any decisions, but we make sure that the gardens tended that things are moving forward. We focus folks on decisions and kind of herd cats when unnecessary. That could be finding information, that could be scheduling calls or organizing things. And then, you know, David and the rest of the team are brilliant at pushing the boundaries of, of DAO tooling and providing, you know, more and more features that can make the community, uh, you know, do more together at lower cost, faster uh, and more efficiently. So I definitely want to hit on the tooling. Uh, real quick, though, one last question as to the uh, Flamingo DAO in particular. I'm curious about what sort of projects you are uh, buying into. And I want to actually provide a few examples of things that just come to mind. And then you all can give me also just a, a broad answer of it as well. Do you all, so some of the questions would be, do you buy one-off pieces? Like, do you end up saying like, does the community say, wow, we really love this artist and we just buy one piece? Are you all, another example would be, are you all funding startups? Because an example you gave was super rare, uh, which it sounded like that came out of the Lao. Uh, is that something that you all are doing with Flamingo Dow? Also, like in terms of projects, what sort of projects are you buying into? As, uh, <laughs> are you buying into like Bored Apes, for example? And then um, uh, finally, when you all do make those sort of investments, what are the average investment sizes that you make? Yeah, those are uh, good questions. So there's no there's no real rules around what members of Flamingo Dow can decide to purchase or invest in. So uh, we have purchased, uh, I think at this point, about 1,500 NFTs. Uh, we've also done more venture-style investments as well. Uh, you know, like one notable example in the latter category is OpenSea. Uh, so we were able to participate in their last round. Uh, we've also, I think at this point, backed like four or five other projects that were more kind of venture-style investments. Uh, on the NFT side, there, you know, uh, the Flamingo launched in October. Uh, it took about a month or so, but the members kind of coalesced around a handful of different broad strategies and categories that they were interested in. Uh, one was commissioning uh, NFTs from emerging voices that we saw bubbling up on Super Rare and other platforms. Uh, so we've commissioned, um, I think at this point, about seven or eight works uh, from particular artists. Uh, those are not all public yet. Um, but they include folks like uh, like Pac and uh, Hackatow and uh, Blake Catherine and a whole bunch of others. Um, we've also um, we've also decided to focus in on kind of early uh, NFTs. Uh, the hypothesis being, if there's going to be billions upon billions of NFTs uh, in the future, and that future seems increasingly likely, then early NFTs are likely uh, going to uh, mature well in terms of value and also term, in terms of cultural significance. Uh, so as part of that uh, strategy, uh, pretty early on, we acquired a large number of uh, CryptoPunks, which is also which also means that we have a, a quite a bit of Mebits, uh, Autoglyphs, um, and a handful of other early NFTs. Uh, we've also been deeply uh, fascinated around generative art and generative NFTs. Uh, so one project that we backed on the venture side through both the Lao and, and Flamingo and frankly across the membership of the Lao and Flamingo is Artbox. Um, and 
um, we've been big supporters and fans of that project. And, and um, uh, both Flamingo and members individually have been collecting uh, a whole bunch of uh, art blocks, particularly the curated art blocks. Uh, we've been diving into um, the metaverse. Uh, we have parcels in almost all the major metaverses or soon we'll, we'll have parcels in all the major metaverses. Um, and, um, and we've also looked at other forms of collectibles like Top Shot and, and things like that. You know, it's interesting, you mentioned Bored Apes as an example. So we have a handful of Bored Apes um, and one new kind of projects, whether it's Hashmas, Bored Apes, or some of these other kind of like NFT projects that come out of the woodwork, you may hear on crypto Twitter, like lots of conversations around them, but at the same time in, inside of Flamingo, it may be a little bit more muted. And that I think is the power of this kind of collective mind. So individuals may be excited and it may seem like a whole bunch of individuals are excited, but unless there's kind of core consensus around it, we don't really make make much of a move. Um, and I think that that's worked uh, to our to our advantage. Um, so uh, it's it's kind of a mix of all that. Um, and these decision-making processes that Pre went through before really uh, kind of aid in, in, that, um, in that direction. Uh, the other kind of thing that's interesting about the decision-making and Flamingo in general is that, that it's kind of evolving into not just one DAO, but a whole bunch of other DAOs. Uh, so we were fortunate enough to acquire a what is now a very high-value uh, CryptoPunk, an, an alien. And just yesterday, um, uh, you know, really at the request of members, um, we announced Alien DAO, which is going to uh, be a DAO that owns a specific NFT, that, that Alien, to help kind of evolve it in different ways. We've seen members turn that Alien into a three-dimensional being, create Zoom skins for it, um, you know, manifest it in metaverses. Uh, it's playing games, it's joining discords. So we kind of like this idea, and the members do, of, of kind of seeing uh, if you can kind of have a community-owned NFT. Uh, we've we've also uh, recently uh, been working on another DAO called Dark Horse DAO, which is going to be focused on some of these play-to-earn uh, emerging NFT opportunities, uh, and, and in this instance, around the Zedron community. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. So in other words, we we've taken some fake internet money uh, to purchase some fake internet horses uh, to build a fake internet stable that will breed out more fake internet horses that will get distributed to folks that want to participate in that DAO. So it's a whole bunch of, of wacky things, um, and uh, it, it really runs the gamut from investing to individual collecting to incubating new DAOs to, you know, rendering them in the metaverse. Yeah, and I guess just to also touch on the question about, like, one-of-ones or things that are, like, in the open market, I mean, that happens all the time. Like, there's definitely, you know, an NFT or art or something that comes up that is is currently on auction or, or what have you. Um, I mean, it's the DAOs are evolving. So decision-making is becoming um, more agile. You know, that's something that I think uh, the members have created like specific procedures around to make things more agile and quick. Um, because as I'm sure you're aware, sometimes these things just move very, very quickly. And, and you know, there there is a need to react in, in sometimes a 24 hour period. So there have been some like processes and governance uh, proposals put in place to address that concern. Um, and so like a lot of it, you know, some of it is hard consensus through governance proposals. Some of it is soft consensus through discord and depending on the amount of ETH something is or the work itself, um, the, the, you know, DAO can make decisions. Um, we've also made it such that like, depending on the soft consensus of, of what happens in discord, a member could buy on behalf of the DAO. Um, and so, so there's definitely some evolving mechanics um, to the DAO that make things uh, that that can respond to how the NFT community actually operates too. All, all that is very fascinating, and it's interesting to see, you know, uh, that you all can set up structures for acting quickly. Um, and, and it just sounds like a diverse. I mean, what what you're reiterating over and over again is essentially, you know, it's a community. And so the community kind of decides how we're gonna how we're gonna approach things, and uh, co the collective mind uh, is an is one interesting indicator of the uh, market as a whole in terms of NFTs. So I, I do want to hit on the technical aspect for a moment, uh, but one last uh, one quick question, which is, do you all have like plans for physical events, or do you is it just like sort of the community just does it ad hoc? 
because I, I, I could also, there's a lot of conversation around venues as the world at least opens up for a period of time uh, at a minimum <laughs> that uh, uh, there's discussion of, of physical um, events. So I'm wondering if that's something that uh, Flamingo Dow uh, has been exploring as well. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think there's definitely an appetite from the membership to to, to meet up, uh, whether that like be like a flamingo con or or, her, um, or a um, you know participating uh, you know as part of like different NFT conferences or having like a membership retreat. I think there's like a lot of different ideas on on a way to get the larger community involved in person. Um, you know, community building online is, is, it's a great way to make connections, make friends. I think some, of, at least for me, even personally, I've made like really real, authentic, long lasting connections with people I've met through the internet. And I think many other people feel that way, but it's always great to put a face to, to the handle, if you will. So I think there's definitely, you know, as the world reemerges and, um, you know, we, we have memberships on, on practically every continent. So getting together at some point just to kind of actually meet in person, I think would be great. And, and, you know, at least in New York, uh, where both Aaron and I are based, we've actually, um, you know, there are a few members based in New York and, and we've like had drinks, for example, but we'll probably just end up doing more and more of that. And I think it'll be a great way to, to bind the community in the real world as well. So in terms of pooling, I did want to hit on that real quick. Uh, it sounds like uh, David is um, heading that up. I'm curious, you know, who is the audience? Is it uh, more developers, organizations, and and what sort of the vision of the tooling is? Is it really as simple as make it as easy as possible for anybody to set up a DAO and uh, to do so for free? Would that be a good synopsis of it, or is uh, there is? I'm assuming there's a lot more to it. I'm I'm dumbing it down. Yeah, it's a good question, Nick. Um, I'd say we're sorting it out. We're really trying to solve our problems right now and the problems of members. And whether that becomes more generalized um, or not is an open question, but we do have the ability to kind of factory out DAOs. So right now there's three DAOs that um, in the Lao network, the Lao, uh, Flamingo and Neptune, uh, by the end of next month, it should be about seven or eight. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if over the next year, it's something more like you know 10 to 50. Um, it depends on kind of what members want to do. Um, we're rebuilding Silicon Valley in the sky, and we built really amazing turnkey solutions to, to do that. So, David, I don't know if you want to unpack Tribute Dow, kind of some of the advantages to it. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I think to to also to touch a little bit the question about like like what is the goal here. So, as Aaron said, like, and like we've been talking now about. Uh, like Alien DAO, Dark Horse DAO. There's been a lot of DAOs that we need to start and we want to move quickly and we need, we want it to be uh, agile and flexible. We, we need to be able to adapt the tooling to the to the DAO itself instead of trying to say, ah, oh, we need to, to organize the DAO to fit our toolings. And so to do that, we really had to rethink how a DAO works and... Uh, how to set it up even. And because we couldn't find uh, what uh, what we wanted, what we were looking for uh, out there, we, we decided to do our own. And that's how a tribute out uh, came to life. And th the idea there is basically to have a kind of a modular approach where we think that each part of the DAO, which can be think as a, the process of the organization or part of the protocol, if you want to talk in, in, uh, in crypto words, um, the community can decide which part of the protocol we want to add and to remove. Um, and, um, and so that adds a lot of flexibility, not only when you want to set it up, as we said, like we have a lot of different use cases and we want to adapt the, the, the DAO to it, but also throughout the, the life of the DAO, because sometimes the DAO starts doing something and then the community ends up doing something else or wants to do something else. So it needs to be able to adapt. So I think that that's kind of the the, the basic idea of the of the tribute DAO is. And on top of that, as uh, as we were saying, like because we we were um, we are managing DAOs and we saw a lot of the, 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 the issues that were that were out there and one uh, a big one was gas cost we spent a lot of time trying to think of a of a way to 
to vote on things of chain and settling on chain that is as trustless as possible. And so uh, we hope to push the, the, the first beta version of that uh, very, very soon. That is a, a optimistic rollout approach where basically there is a commitment to to voting and there is a way to 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 challenge uh, any result being published on chain if someone tries to to um, to cheat the system. And with that, we can save a lot of gas, gas costs. We can, uh, and so we can get a lot more um, um, engagement uh, from the community because then they're not blocked by thinking, oh, to, to just say what I want to say, I need to pay 20 bucks or things like that. That, that was the, the kind of situation that we had before. And here people can really just make their voice heard and then we can settle all down and still be pretty lean in terms of uh, operational costs. And so uh, keep the community alive and, and all of that. So do you envision, because it sounds like what you're describing in terms of the structure, there's a modular approach to it. Is this accessible only at this point in time to members of the existing DAOs, the Lao, um, Flamingo DAO, et cetera? Or is this something where you're going to eventually view this as an open source uh, solution similar to, I think, of Y Combinator's convertible note, which anyone can go and just take and use it for themselves, and there's no there's no interaction or anything else like that? Wh where do you see this uh, evolving to? Yeah, so on the technical side, it's totally open source already today. So we have uh, we have already repos where people can go there. They can see the, the smart contracts, how, they, how it's working. And we even have a, a, a UI side so that people can even fork the the the, the front end that we're using so the, and, and 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 use it and build that DAO on top of it. Um, I would say that the only thing that it's not necessarily as forkable, easily forkable, is all the 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 amazing legal minds that are you that are helping us setting them all up. But on the technical technical side, it's really the idea of of pushing the, the, the DAO narrative forward so that it's easier and easier for people to add new what like new modules and like amaze us with new ideas that we never didn't even have and then we can just plug in and and our DAOs are also other DAOs can kind of collaborate together by saying oh this part is doing amazing I want to use it man this is so fascinating uh, I could yeah I, <laughs> we we could have a, a... Uh, I'm, you guys discuss this all day long, I'm sure. So uh, this, this is what you're involved with. Yeah, welcome to our world. <laughs> but but uh, in terms of building Silicon Valley in the cloud, it, it definitely, I, I see that vision. It's interesting that you have, um, when what, the number that you were giving when it comes to 10 to 50 DAOs, which sound like by the end of next year, this year, I, what, whatever that number is, it, like where do you view, draw the line when you say Silicon Valley in the cloud? It sounds like in the same way that, um, I mean, maybe it's a good uh, metaphor here as it applies to like the Y Combinator uh, approach is that like you can go through YC, you're going to use the same notes as the open source one, but it's a different sort of thing. Like if I participate in Flamingo DAO, that's different than me using Tribute DAO, uh, forking it and setting up my own DAO. Yes, I've, I've leveraged uh, sort of the knowledge, the collective knowledge that has grown over time through it. Um, but it's a different thing. It, it, it when, when you describe this Silicon Valley in the cloud, is that the collective of everybody, including those that just fork tribute DAO? Um, or when, when use those numbers, the 10 to 50, is that all people within the existing ecosystem of people who are uh, current members? Yeah, I mean, I'm viewing that more in terms of the ecosystem of DAOs that we're actively supporting. Uh, but since it's open source, and and as David noted, um, or I can and I can emphasize, it's very modular and extensible. So our hope and goal is that developers will run with it. So if you have a DAO uh, that's not something that our membership's interested in, uh, but you are, and you're probably right about that, you'll be able to not have to rebuild a whole DAO framework. It's like rebuilding a whole operating system on a computer is a hard task. You can just kind of leverage that, and then you can build a much smaller little bit of code that can. Uh, get plugged in and do do what you're hoping it can do, um, and we think that that's kind of the the right approach. Um, so I think you know I think things are changing. Um, I think the structure works. We've seen it in practice with the Lao and and Flamingo, also Neptune, which is focused on DeFi opportunities. 
uh, I think that these structures work better than traditional venture capital uh, structures. Uh, you know, we were deep into NFTs and lots of traditional venture capital funds and even really well-run crypto funds completely missed it. There's only a handful that didn't. Um, but for us, it was obvious. Uh, and it was obvious because we, we have a membership of users, the community that lives and breathes this stuff. Uh, we've been thinking about this, obsessing about this from the beginning. Um, and the amount of capital that's in at folks' disposal uh, in the crypto ecosystem and just across the membership, it, it's pretty astounding. We're, we're getting close to a point where if you're a young project, you just don't need to go to um, a venture capitalist. You can go to your community. Um, you can go to vehicles that comply with regular, you know, regular U.S. laws um, and really get moving on things. If you're an artist um, and you want, you know, some validation, uh, you want a group of people to to really focus on your work and cherish it, then you have a vehicle like Flamingo that can do that too. Uh, and that disintermediates, I think, a lot of the traditional structures in the you know traditional art and media world as well. Um, so I think this is a really broad vision, um, and our hope and our goal is that it doesn't become as extractive. Silicon Valley is amazing; it's the engine of growth in the U.S., but it has some downsides to it, right? It it, it uh, incentivizes these monopolies or quasi-monopolies. It incentivizes hypergrowth. It's not uh, particularly concerned about privacy. Uh, you know, those are significant challenges, and I don't think that you'll see the kind of the same veneer and approach of these community-oriented. Uh, DAOs. Um, so hopefully, you know, our tools are useful. Yeah. You know, we think by solving our own problems and the problems of our members, we'll be able to, um, you know, just make the entire DAO ecosystem grow. Uh, and hopefully, you know, through the DAOs that we're more actively uh, helping uh, to provide services to, we can continue to push the envelope in lots of different ways. You know, one example of that, which we didn't touch on yet, is we're building an internet museum. Uh, so thinking about NFTs, not just from the collector side, but from a preservation, uh, archival um, uh, archival side as well, we think DAOs are a really interesting structure for that. The future MoMA, the future Louvre, probably will, will live in the metaverse, right? It will be community run and operated. It won't have boards of benefactors and patrons like the Renaissance. It will have a group of folks online that are sifting through and finding Kind of the, the best folks that deserve recognition and credit. So we're, we're launching that. It's a project called Museo. Um, the alien is actually bringing it to life. So we'll have a little bit of internet weird uh, kind of surrounding it. And we're pretty excited about that as well. So first, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time today. I'm, I'm grateful for, um, for you all to uh, take the time and come and have a conversation about DAOs and NFTs. Uh, if people want to follow along, how can they do that? And maybe a question for each of you to sort of end on is, what's one project that you all are excited uh, about today? It could be that, it could be Museo, uh, it could be uh, an artist that you're really excited about, but uh, maybe just one that um, it could, you could have been reading about this morning, whatever it is, uh, maybe we could just end on that. I'll kick it off and then I'll turn it to you, David and Bray. Um, I'm super excited about Museo. Uh, I think it's a really interesting project just to like unpack that a little bit more. If you are an artist or a uh, collector and you think that your work uh, should be preserved for the public's benefit, you're going to be able to donate your work to a DAO. Um, it will get stored in a vault, and then you'll be able to decide what comes into the museum next. So you become the curator. Um, and we think that that's a really interesting model, both to sift through the noise of all these amazing artists uh, and also a great way to get validation from your community. Uh, or folks that, uh, you know, that are great uh, creators already, uh, you know, and or folks that have built uh, fairly, you know, prominent collections. So uh, I'm super excited about that. Um, and I'm super excited to kind of to kind of see that uh, come into fruition. And then the other DAOs that we put together, like the Star Horse DAO, this, uh, you know, internet stable, I think it's just so weird that it's hard not to love. And I'm also really excited in exploring this narrative as of NFTs as kind of characters uh, that live and breathe on the internet. Yeah, I think we've seen lots of great digital art. Uh, we've seen lots of other great NFT-based media objects emerge, but the most valuable IP, uh, an IP with you know with probably the most cultural significance, is characters. Whether that's uh, characters that Disney owns, or um, I mean, Disney pretty much owns them all. 
but characters like that, I think it's interesting. And I'm really curious to see how a group of people can help steward, steward the future of that. Wow, like programmable autonomous characters or something like that roaming through the metaverse. You got it. Yeah, we're super fascinated on that and the Flamingo side. Or like DAO-controlled characters, I think, are super interesting too. So uh, there's some stuff percolating there. Um, I guess for me too, also, what I really like this idea of like generated content through a DAO, kind of touching on the characters, but in the context of like written content or novels or books. Um, I mean, I think like Mirror has been like an interesting project that has kickstarted some of these individuals who are you know traditionally novelists writers and others um to have like token gated access to their work but also that could form into a DAO where you know eventually there could be like a i remember when i was a kid i used to love those choose your own adventure type of novels it'd be interesting to have like a DAO controlled plot storyline or something of that nature um i'm sure that would translate to like you know a DAO controlled production studio or, or something eventually but um, I've been seeing a few of those emerge, and, and I think that's pretty interesting as well. Man, you just gave me an idea. <laughs> so that's uh, uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. On, on my side, so since I'm 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 really deep deep into all these uh, Dell toolings, and I think uh, Nick, you you touched on that on also how how can you manage like the communities that are like fifty, hundred, and then a thousand and ten thousand people. So I think that for me. Like what we're trying to do with DAO, but also like the other project that we are using around it to kind of manage this community and trying to find good ways to do governance that is effective, but still fair. And that where we don't stand still, but we can move fast, even if we have a, a, a bigger and bigger community so that we can open up more and more and more. And um, I'm thinking we are, we are working very closely with them. So that's why, uh, I will talk about them, like project like Snapshot that is doing a lot of great work, uh, helping doing governance and trying to manage these things off chain. And also our friends at uh, Abridged, who are trying to help on the more the community management part, trying to bring all this tooling together, how to make things uh, work amazing. And for us who are more managing the DAO, but also for the community who is deeply involved and is putting not only their their internet money but uh, their very real time into it uh i'm very excited about that i'm very excited about um kind of the the next step of, of community management and community governance where we can actually uh, empower them and work together and just having an amazing win-win situation where uh, people who are passionate about something can be uh, involved and get also rewarded from it and people who are creating this community are also rewarded. And yeah, we all move forward together. So I'm very excited about that. Well, on that note, I really appreciate uh, you all taking the time today. Uh, it, it, it's awesome to have uh, Open Law, Flamingo Dow, the, 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 the team behind it um, to come on the show. So um, thank, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us, Nick. We really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Nifty Nick podcast. And if you made it this far, make sure to subscribe at thenifty.com. Thanks again.